You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the podcast where we're talking about Bitcoin. On today's show, I talked to two gentlemen that captured news headlines before Christmas for a new loan product they're bringing into the market that allows individuals to use Bitcoin to make a down payment on a house or even buy Bitcoin against some of the equity on their house. Their names are Mauricio Bartolomeo and Adam Reeds. They're the founders of Ledin, which is a Bitcoin lending and borrowing platform. And so without further delay, here's our discussion. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investors Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. All right. So uh, everyone, welcome to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Mauricio and Adam. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Preston. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Great to have you guys here. So the first thing that I want to do is just talk about your story because uh, I'm sure you guys got one heck of a story. Mauricio, I know you're from Venezuela. Adam, where are you from? Canada. I haven't moved too far. So I grew up in a, a small town outside Toronto. How'd you guys meet each other? Western University, 15 years ago. Okay. So 15 years ago, what did you guys study? What were you guys doing that made you want to start a business together? Because obviously Bitcoin wasn't around 15 years ago. Yeah. We met uh, at business school at uh, the University of Western Ontario. So I remember the first day coming over and seeing this enthusiastic guy that you know we're all opening up our, our fresh Mac computers and getting started and set up and happened to be sitting close by. So obviously introduced ourselves and, and stayed in touch uh, really from graduation uh, back and forth. Uh, I'll let Mauricio, of course, get into his story, but he was back and forth between Venezuela and Canada. I was, for the most part, uh, mainly in Canada working and really just stayed in touch. Mauricio, why don't you jump in and talk about when you came back and then finish the story. I got the privilege, I would say, to, to do my university in Canada. Once Venezuela kind of started falling off a cliff, for lack of a better description, many families chose their most willing kid to go study abroad and, and hopefully help the family if things went south. And you know, I volunteered in my family, and that's how I wound up in Canada with Adam. And we always used to joke around, even as we were friends in university, about how two people with such different backgrounds became such good friends because we, we actually joked at how different our upbringings were, yet a lot of our values and a lot of the things we liked were so similar. And so to us, that was always really interesting. And for me, what prompted me to do finance, which is what the undergrad program that Adam's actually doing, joint engineering and, and finance program at Ivy. And I did my, my finance program and then went back for my master's. My obsession really with money came from growing up in Venezuela because you just grow up with so many questions in a system that's so broken. And I always thought that I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad was an entrepreneur, so I wanted to have a business as well one day. And to me, trying to get something is to understand how that works. And to me, that was the case with money. I said, well, I can't really want to even seek out to make money if I don't know how money works and what is money. And uh, Venezuela, it's a very hard question to answer. And you just keep coming up with more questions, which eventually led us to Bitcoin. Let me ask you this. So I think what we're seeing in the global markets today, people are looking at the stock market and it just seems like it just keeps going up in nominal terms, as you guys well know. And they're looking at that and they're saying there has to be a correction at some point. There has to be a correction. And the three of us all have the opinion that it's the currency that's broke. 
Did you see something like this play out in Venezuela where it almost seemed like the equity markets just kept going up? They just keep going up. 100%. And, and the crazy part is Venezuela doesn't have an equity market that's popular amongst its people. So what you ended up seeing was actually largely vehicles, cars. People would rave about buying a car, driving it for four years and selling it at a profit in mm-hmm. Bolivar terms. And, and so the prices of assets just started getting completely out of whack in, in Bolivar terms. Anything that was a non-perishable, you know, at first it started with the highest quality asset, but when the capital controls came in, it went to cans of tuna, it went to rice, it went to things. Basically, it, it sends people back to the bartering system. And so um, you definitely see the, the, the currency breaks. And as more and more money gets injected into the economy and gets distributed more arbitrarily, this idea that you can make money through honest work disappears, mm. dissipates. Because eventually, assets get priced out of your reach. And so the idea of getting, the, getting there with honest work breaks. And personally, that's why I think the middle class is such a mesh for a society, because the middle class is that reachable place for anybody that's, that feels like they want to climb up. And when the middle class disappears, which is the first class to go when the Catalan ticks on, that breaks this continuity of society. Basically, the, the, the breach becomes too far from one end to the other, and people start thinking about not honest work. They start thinking about quick ways of you know, absurd amounts of leverage, going you know, through loops and bounds to try to get a, something that can 10x. And you start getting into this behavior that's very short-term, almost very irrational. Wow. That's fascinating to hear the description of that. Because I don't know about you, <laughs> Adam, but I'm looking, I'm looking at the market here just in the US, and it feels exactly like what you're just describing. The way I see this and the way I explain it to other people is basically fiat money is structured in a similar way, but it's structured as a series of dominoes that fall back into the reserve domino, which is the US. The latter dominoes on the pile have never even shaken. Like the idea that this currency can be broken doesn't even cross the mind, the minds of most Americans yeah. or Europeans, frankly. Yeah. But in a place like people like Venezuela, people like Argentina, people like Turkey, we have seen our dominoes fall. We have seen money die. And what I think is fascinating about the way fiat is structured and inflation is structured is that I compare this to the boiling frog analogy. So you know this metaphor or this analogy where the frog, if, if you gradually increase the temperature or the water of a frog, it'll boil because it won't notice that it's, getting, that it's getting hot. But if you jack up the temperature, it jumps out. I think the same is true for a fiat system and inflation. When you have inflation at 2 to 3%, the frog is just slowly boiling. It's just sitting in a jacuzzi thinking, no issue, right? It's just the water's just a little bit hotter, a little bit hotter. But what happened with COVID and what happens in places like Venezuela, when typically this happens because of a political event or some big crisis, is all of a sudden you inject this massive amount of cash into the economy. And all of a sudden you start seeing all these gaps and discrepancies around pricing and around events. And it makes you start questioning. It makes you start asking yourself how money works. And eventually some people get to the answer that says, oh, they just printed. And when you have people making themselves collectively making that realization, well, if your cost of borrowing is lower than inflation and you know they're printing it to no end, 
it makes complete sense to borrow and buy, borrow and buy an asset that is not being printed. And I think to your point, that's a lot of the behavior you're seeing today. Everything's overpriced, but it's not going to get better. So this is, this is what's so awesome. So you guys go and start this business. The name of it is Lenden. So L-E-D-N. We'll have a link in the show notes. And you're just so well prepared for what this is all about in your business. How did you guys, when you guys had your aha moment that you're going to build this, this company, how did that take place? Walk us through it. Yeah. So you know, as Mauricio was coming back from Venezuela, uh, this is really you know, 2015 era. And he was so excited about, uh, at that time, Bitcoin mining and had, had done that for several years back and helped many people do that in Venezuela. And I was in the energy sector. So I was investing in solar wind and a bunch of other hydro projects in Canada, the US, Europe, and a bit and uh, looking at projects in Latin as well. So what I was seeing was uh, yields going to zero. So starting really, I was, I was doing that job uh, since graduation, looking at different infrastructure projects globally, bringing in uh, pensions and others. So you had to have a situation where uh, institutions were clamoring for these projects near the end. I uh, just trying to get that. In the mining sector, the hardest thing to do was, was timing your, the sale of your Bitcoin. So you had, still had real world expenses as you were setting up infrastructure. You had to be able to time it. And so as Mauricio was coming back, we decided to do some, some mining projects together. I was still working in the energy sector, investing in that asset class. And really from there, uh, you know, we obviously put some money together, set it up, and then always screwed up the time because we needed to pay expenses. And then you know, Mauricio was looking around and he said, okay, there's a few potential options in the market, but really what we should be doing is looking at how to finance our mine. Is, you know, let, let's look into that. So obviously now, I'm seeing something that is infrastructure that we've done. Mauricio is seeing this huge demand for uh, financing Bitcoin because, you know, at that point, you know, admittedly, I was newer to the asset class and, you know, didn't really see the, the missing out of, of selling it and then watching it uh, gain as much as he had. Uh, so kind of putting in, combining something that we knew, that he knew we never wanted to sell. My side of it was looking at institutions, seeing that they really had a clamoring for yield. And if we could put that together and say, okay, there's a huge group of capital over here that actually wants dollars, wants to lend against, wants to lend dollars, wants to return in dollars. Bitcoiners want, never want to sell their Bitcoin. And if we can marry that two concepts, we'll have a pretty attractive yield, yield product. And so putting that together. And the other interesting thing was kind of through that conception point is the conversations around an asset class as it matures change dramatically. And what I was seeing was a little bit of a deja vu moment in the conversations around, around Bitcoin. So everyone was talking about the tech. Everyone was saying it's blockchain, not Bitcoin. Uh, and how does the tech work? Every time you explained it, you're always talking about tech, tech, tech. The same thing happened when renewables renew. People said, well, how do solar panels work? Well, they last 20 years. And I'm talking about very two different asset classes. But what's similar about the two evolutions is the maturation of the questions and the intelligence of things asked about that asset class. And now we're seeing that again. 2017 was about the tech. You know, 2020 was about the economics of this and the real value of something is the, the scarcity of it and, and really true, the true value of, of, of Bitcoin. So kind of that evolution is if we got in early and we figured that you know, we structured something right, eventually the smart money would come and it would drive the cost down of financing. So that's what we're excited to see, you know, structure something well and now watch big institutions come in and really try to you know, bring their large balance sheets in it and finance it and bring the whole thing together. So that was really the marrying of those two things and, and trying to, to put together the marrying of two different worlds. So Pierre Rochard termed this a speculative attack 
which is what Michael Saylor has done. So your company is basically like the speculative attack company <laughs> of, of Bitcoin. So explain to our audience what your company does in layman's terms. It's a very simple concept. So we let people place their Bitcoin as collateral so they can borrow dollars against it and not have to sell their Bitcoin. And you can think of it in very simple terms as a mortgage for your Bitcoin. It is a loan that you get. You're still the owner of that Bitcoin. The value of that Bitcoin is your appreciation or loss, like any, any kind of gain or change in the value of that asset is still yours. And all we're doing is we're just allowing you to finance or access financing based on the value of that asset. That is our flagship product. That is our Bitcoin back loan. It is, it is our most popular product today. And uh, that, those funds can be advanced in cash or stable coins or USDC if you want. We also let people earn interest on the Bitcoin they already have. So it, it, it's our Bitcoin savings account, and that just pays you an interest rate for having the balances. Uh, we lend it out to institutions and we collect the spread. And, uh, and you can now, we, we have savings accounts in both USDC and Bitcoin, and you can move between Bitcoin or USDC to control your exposure to one or the other as you want. Now, what makes you guys a little bit different than some of these other lending, borrowing platforms that are out there is you guys have incorporated real estate into that part of the collateral, correct? Yeah. So the product that we just announced uh, last week is a Bitcoin mortgage. So what that product is, it allows you to buy a property worth the same value as your Bitcoin stack. So if you have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, you can use the Bitcoin mortgage to purchase a million dollar home. And essentially, that product is different than the straight Bitcoin back loan. It has obviously some trade-offs, I guess, and some benefits for a few parts of how the product works. But we're, we're happy to get into those. But in essence, the genesis of that product came because a lot of our existing clients were using our Bitcoin back loan to buy houses in cash. And, and essentially, they, they kept coming back to us because they, a lot of Bitcoiners are very Bitcoin wealthy, but they don't... In the eyes of a bank, they're not necessarily that wealthy because the bank doesn't treat Bitcoin as an asset. And, uh, and so because so many Bitcoiners use us for so many of their financing needs, a couple of them, several of them came with the same request. And when we started working with them, we saw a lot of people around their own circle get really excited about the product. And so that uh, we clued into the fact that there was this big demand for Bitcoiners to purchase real estate. The results after the announcement kind of speak for themselves. We're, we're very, very happy with so far the feedback. So walk us through the, the structure of this, because when, when you start getting into the interest rates that are associated with borrowing money against your Bitcoin, the rates are extremely high, especially compared to traditional finance. So a person can go out today. I don't know what the mortgage rates are right now, but you know they're really low. And I, I suspect, I don't know what the rates are for this product, but I suspect they're at least twice or maybe even triple the amount in, in uh, interest rate. So walk us through what those numbers are and then talk to us a little bit why somebody would be incentivized to, to go in this direction opposed to a traditional loan out of traditional finance. Yeah, if I can say, so the, maybe first off, it's helpful to walk through how the, the traditional or our traditional uh, Bitcoin back loan works. And then I talk about the evolution of that. So the Bitcoin back loans, if you had $100,000 of Bitcoin, uh, we'd lend you $50,000. Uh, you still maintain 
ownership of the $100,000 of Bitcoin, whether the price goes up or down in dollar terms, that exposure is yours. And then if the, the Bitcoin rallies, you, know, you can re- reset the loan, uh, kind of take it so that your, your you know, ongoing loan to value remains at 50%. And on the downside, what we always have to balance is we obviously have to fund that capital. And so the tricky part for the borrower is the, the top up that's required if the price of Bitcoin declines in dollar terms and you have to add. So this can be a nerve wracking a concept because you have to get comfortable that the price is moving all the time. The price can move at unfortunate times in the night. And we have to do our best. And a lot of the evolution of the product is making sure we provide as much notice as we can, but still in the absolute scenario, provide the right liquidation terms so that we can actually have dollars to lend against. So that that balance has been an evolution that not just let in, you know, many, many companies in the space have kind of worked through. And so what the, the mortgage does is when you instead just lend someone dollars that they can do anything with, and instead say, hey, what if you use those dollars to purchase real estate? And would you be okay with us taking a security position on that real estate as well? Now we have one asset over here, that's the Bitcoin the, uh, collateral uh, that is moving, but, but quite liquid. And we have another asset that's real estate that's stable, but not as liquid. So when we combine them and we look at the financing package today, Together, it allows us to provide a much more generous term to add additional Bitcoin. So we still require that 50% loan to value. But what we're doing is providing a lot more uh, leniency as far as the timing of adding additional Bitcoin. So that's the, the real value prop. And in addition to that, we can also lower the interest rate. So the interest rate that we've gone to market with in the pilot is, is really midway in between what a traditional real estate loan would be and uh, what the, the Bitcoin-backed loan would be. And this is really subject to market conditions as we get more. So really, we hope over time, we can pass on as much savings as we can as more peace comes into it. But really, it's blending all of that. And then the final value prop is doing everything in one place. It's not an unknown fact that you know, most Bitcoiners don't love you know, walking into Bank of America and asking for a loan. There's a reason that they got into Bitcoin. There's some frustration with the traditional financial system. So I think the benefit of being able to do uh, things all in one place provides some additional value as well. For me, looking at this from the outside, and you guys got to correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems that the person who would want to do this would be somebody who has a substantial or, or half of their house paid off, or maybe the, the full amount of their house paid off, and they want to borrow against that in order to buy Bitcoin. Is that something that you guys offer? And is, if so, is that what you're seeing playing out more often than not versus the other scenario that we were just talking? It's funny you mentioned that because um, so we've received that feedback so many times. In essence, the product, the, the pilot, the way it was structured was uh, clients had Bitcoin and wanted to purchase a house. And that's the way the, tr- the, the product is structured for the pilot. But what we quickly realized was there was a huge demand for people that outright own their homes and would like to buy the same amount of Bitcoin. So we're already working on that. Uh, and it should be essentially, I think, ready, perhaps uh, not immediately when the, when the V1 mortgage hits, but you know, within months, most likely, of it being announced. And, um, and the other piece I wanted to add, just... Just to frame the conversation around the rates for traditional mortgages, because I think a lot of people talk about you know, these 2% rates, 3% rates, as, as if they're very attainable for anyone, can walk into a Bank of America and get 2%. Many people, I think, incorrectly think of a mortgage as a loan against a house. A mortgage is actually a loan against your cash flows or your income that is backed by the house. 
So if, if you show up and you try to buy a $5 million house and you make $20,000 a year, no bank's going to give you that mortgage. And so what, what many Bitcoiners face and the challenges that many people in the crypto space face is that A, they're either freelancers, they don't really have a, a steady stream of income, they don't really have a, a steady or long-term employment history. And the other one is a lot of these people uh, have made a lot of Bitcoin or digital assets over the last few years. So rightfully, they many times they're entrepreneurs or they are, you know, they just don't have that cash flow stream that allows them to buy the house of their dreams. Many times their current stream of cash flows will allow them to buy, you know, a house that's half this, half of what they want. And so by tapping into the Bitcoin mortgage, they can now purchase or use some of that Bitcoin to purchase the house they want. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities, coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. The Holy Grail of Investing, the new book by Tony Robbins and co-written by investing legend Christopher Zook, reveals the secrets of alternative investments like private equity, venture capital, energy, real estate, sports franchises, and more. It features exclusive insights from investing titans who collectively manage more than $500 billion, including Robert F. Smith, Vinod Kosla, Michael B. Kim, and many others. In the holy grail of investing, you'll discover how to take advantage of the trillions flowing into private equity by becoming an owner of firms that actually manage the assets and share in the revenue they generate, how to take advantage of the two to three times higher returns of private credit as an alternative or complement to bonds, how to invest in the energy evolution and ride the wave of trillions in global investments, how investments in private real estate can work as an inflationary hedge and source of tax-efficient income, and how many of the world's greatest investors thrive in both good times and bad. The Holy Grail of Investing by Tony Robbins is available now wherever books are sold. All right, back to the show. 
Have you seen a scenario where people are taking a down payment or paying off a quarter of the house through a Bitcoin loan because they don't they obviously don't want that high interest rate for the full loan amount that's helped them secure a loan, a traditional loan by borrowing against some other Bitcoin for a portion of it. How does the bank, or at least maybe your experience, how has the bank kind of dealt with that? Because I know when people are trying to secure loans, a lot of the times they're like, well, we don't want to see any $50,000 or $100,000 last minute uh, inbound checks to the account, because then that warps their perception of your, of your cash flows, to your point, Mauricio, on how they're valuing your ability to pay it back. Are you seeing uh, customers go in that direction? Yeah, so we actually did see that a, a few times, and, and some of those experiences which was what led us to this product. Uh, because what we saw actually a couple of times, our clients were coming in and taking large loans, like million dollar plus loans, and they, you know, some of them openly said that it's going to be to buy real estate, and some of them even said, "Hey, I'm going to look to refinance part of the house, and I'm going to be repaying a portion of this loan in a few months' time." And we said, "That's great. You know, we'd love for you to get a more efficient cost of capital if you can." But immediately that clued us in into the fact that in these circumstances, some of our borrowers have the cash flows to essentially go support the mortgage of the house that they wanted to buy in the first place. A lot of our clients were not in that camp. And they said, I really you know, would like you to do the mortgage entirely. I don't want to deal with a bank. I really don't. And so we, we obliged. <laughs> we said, yes. <laughs> And it's interesting because with a lot of these loans, it's just so convenient because from your perspective, it's fully backed, right? Like with liquid tokens, it's backed on a 24-7 market. So like you're good. Like you can you can push them whatever funds, USDC or whatever, immediately. And you know that the that they're good for it because it's sitting right there on a 24-7 market, over collateralized. And I think that that's a part for a, people that are listening to this. It's hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around something that's over collateralized because there's in traditional markets, you just don't see something like that. How are you guys thinking about the storage of these deposits that people are making? So, if I bring some Bitcoin to you, I make a deposit, I'm taking out a loan against it. Are these shared multi sig accounts? Are you guys the ones that are controlling the keys? How do you think through that problem? How do a lot of your customers think through that problem? I'm just kind of curious to hear some of your thoughts on it. The way that the product is structured right now is we are a custodial company. Like we know the, the, the lending product that we offer is a, is a custodial product. We, we do hold the keys for the collateral for our loans. And, and the way the, the mortgage is structured, we will also hold the keys for the collateral for the Bitcoin on the mortgage product. What we are uh, looking into as future iterations of the product is giving the clients the option to basically have their Bitcoin sit on chain so that they can essentially monitor their Bitcoins that is being part of the collateral uh, for that loan. Obviously, there are some mechanical changes into that. There might be some price differences as well in the two options, uh, just because the cost of capital, frankly, is different in the two forms of financing. But I think that we are always in the, of the view that we, you know, if this is something our clients want and it's important for them, we want to give them the option to have it. And, um, if the client you know, decides that they would like to you know, use a, one or the other option, well, that's their prerogative, which is there to kind of do, offer whatever they prefer. You guys mentioned that you use USDC as a stable coin. Why did you guys choose USDC versus some of the other uh, stable coins that are out there? 
obviously the most popular stablecoin in, in far as circulation is Tether. Tether, I think, depending you know who you speak to, everyone has a different view of Tether. But from our perspective, we are regulated entity in several jurisdictions, and the, the regulators do continue to have issues with Tether. So in order to, to move forward our regulatory posture, we had to make sure to, to not support Tether at this time. The other piece is the one-to-one peg just simplifies it. I think especially for those that are new, newer to the asset class, uh, we, we do see stable coins as you know, what you can call a gateway drug. So it's maybe easier to understand a digital dollar than it is to understand Bitcoin. And then once you get into the digital dollar, uh, understanding Bitcoin is a natural evolution from that. So we just thought, you know, if you can, you can say it's fully backed by dollars and show a one-to-one peg, and it always be priced at, at that. Uh, it's just far easier to explain. We really got into uh, supporting stable coins because we were having challenges sending money to a lot of our clients internationally, especially in LATAM. Unfortunately, for some of our LATAM clients, you're almost guilty until proven innocent when it comes to income hitting your bank account. So a lot of the times uh, a client, say, in, in Colombia, would have to defend that the $5,000 that just hit their account was not income, it was actually a loan. And that was all part of our evolution of providing all of our documentation in Spanish as well to support not only understanding of the products, but to support documentation and making sure that they could explain to different authorities that um, it is what it is. So that was really the, why we supported stablecoins in the first place. And then to now, it just makes it easier to support you know, many different things in the ecosystem. That was an interesting comment there about it not being income and that it was actually a loan. Uh, one of the questions that I saw on Twitter, a person asked, is the interest deductible for income tax? So we can't provide tax advice. <laughs> you, you have to consult with your tax professional. But uh, in many jurisdictions, when you take out a loan and you use the proceeds to reinvest in a business, they can be tax deductible. So you can confirm with your tax professional. All right. Um, I think we know what the answer was there. <laughs> Mauricio, you passed the, uh, your, your legal ad- advisors would be very proud of you. Um, when in the United States, when are you guys going to, because you guys are just in Canada today, correct? So a lot of our products are available in the US as well. So uh, we operate in many states. Uh, you know, we have to follow state-by-state lending re- regulations. Uh, as far as the mortgage itself, the first pilot mortgages that we worked through this year are in Ontario, Canada, but we're receiving applications and inquiries from all over. So we, we definitely hope to support the US uh, as quick as we can next year. So we don't have exact time uh, frames, but expect it, I would say, you know, mid-2022. Hey, one of the things that I found interesting on the site is the term, the duration of the loan is way shorter than I, I would imagine people who are not familiar with the product are. It's two-year term. Talk to us about why the term is so short and whether that's important, not important to the, to the person who's, who's borrowing, because they can just roll it over again. They are going to get a different interest rate. But uh, talk to us a little bit about that. So it's really matching uh, tenure of capital. So today, as we've kind of talked about throughout this, we really have Bitcoin-backed capital. So what we've been doing and our finance teams have been doing is, as we've been developing the mortgage, really expanding our tentacles as far as what source of capital we're tapping into and making sure we can match those 10 years. So what we never want to do is overcommit on anything. So everything is matched. Uh, actually, part of the ethos of what we do with Ledin is we try to keep the behind the scenes framework super simple. So when we launch a product, we, we match everything up and we're really conservative on duration. Uh, so, so that's that. So we, we don't have you know, 30-year capital today in Ledin. But as things evolve, we expect to have this. So, you know, just just when you sit down for a traditional mortgage and you can select, I want a you know two year fixed or five year five year variable term. 
we definitely would like to support all those different variations of, of the mortgage product and make sure we, we can match this. This is really just, hey, let's get going. Let's keep it simple uh, to get the product out there. And then let's really you know, innovate when we by listening to our clients and what they want. How are you guys just seeing growth from when you guys started to today? Is it exploding? Is it a little stagnant? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on the growth in, in this space. There's so many opportunities. And I think that's what makes it exciting to work in this space is there really is no competition because that you have really smart people. So there's competition in the sense that other people are working on similar ideas in a similar space. But the mindset you have is all about growing the pie just because there's so much interest coming in so quickly. You know, you're all, everyone's focused on uh, expanding that and serving as many people as they can instead of taking taking from others. So, so that's, that's been great. I mean, I think just on our, this specific mortgage product, Bitcoiners surely want property. I think we were blown away. Uh, you know, Mauricio actually you know, tried to take a, a couple of days off last week and couldn't because we, <laughs> we were just so overwhelmed with the demand and excitement of, of the program that uh, we've been advancing things you know, even faster than we thought we'd, we'd have to. What excites you guys the most moving forward here? That's a great question. I'm excited, as I was mentioning to you earlier, because I feel like there's been a sort of collective awakening by many people around what money is. And I think that that you're seeing it around the world. And it's not just in, in, in investor markets. In the US, it's a very big problem because it's been, the, the, I believe, the economy that's injected the most cash into its system over the last 12 months. And so typically, people in the US are never worried about inflation. But to have the US now worried about inflation, to have the types of things that you're seeing in Europe, where it's just going completely out of whack, and you're seeing this sort of collective awakening of people saying, fiat is not an instrument for saving. This is the terrible instrument to build wealth. And I'm going to opt out of it, and I'm going to go into Bitcoin, and I'm going to go into real estate. And so what I'm most excited about is being part of that massive wave and allowing the infrastructure that lets people do that. I say this sort of jokingly, but the fact that somebody in Medellin can take a sliver of their paycheck and hedge inflation with the same instrument that Michael Saylor is using is incredibly empowering. Incredibly. And so I don't think that's a trend that's going to stop anytime soon. Any plans to go to Europe? Yeah. So when we uh, added uh, Spanish and Portuguese uh, to the platform to support LATAM, naturally, we received a decent amount of applications from Spain and Portugal. So we've seen quite a bit of spillover into Europe on, on different products. Uh, so we're there uh, in some uh, basis. I think what we'd love to do is be as deep in Europe and, and other places as we are in Canada, the US, and Latam. The other thing that I think you know, really excites us about the space overall is it's unbelievable, even though it's early, how developed systems are in the US for on-ramps on Bitcoin specifically and other Bitcoin services compared to the rest of the world and, and even Europe. So there's so much opportunity everywhere else in the US as well, but there's just a lot more to go, I think, in you know, other places. And so that's, that's what really excites us is the world's a really big place and the US has had the luxury of, of moving a bit faster. But I think the opportunity, at least that we're focused on, is making sure that other places can grow just as quick too. How does the appraisal for the house value work? Is it similar to you know, when a person buys a house and they're dealing with getting a traditional loan? Very similar, yes. Okay. So essentially, it's the same process. It's, the, it's typical uh, real estate appraisal as if you were going to a normal mortgage process through a bank. 
part of the things uh, or something that you know interested clients should know about the loan is that it basically at the Lenin has the right to reassess the value of the property at the end of the first year. And essentially that would be uh, the way that we can reset the LTVs of the loan if there have been any any moves in yeah. the any changes in the value of the real estate and of the Bitcoin. The idea here is that if Bitcoin has rallied and you know you're over collateralized in the Bitcoin portion, that one year mark allows us both the borrower and the lender to reset the levels to their to their 50%. So if a person has that in hand, that's been done, I, I'm sure you require a certain time frame, like within the last month or something. But if they have that valuation in hand, how long does it take them to go through this process to, let's say they want to borrow 50000 or or $100,000 with, with real estate involved? The process today... It's not automated through the platform. It's a manual process that is done through our through our uh, key account managers. So each one of the clients that is going through the application process has a designated account rep that helps them go through the appraisal process and, and the full application. Right now, it's, I think it's a bit too early for us to tell just because we're going through the pilots. But I think once everything is in place, it should be a fairly straightforward process, at least on the on this structure of the loan. As we start getting into lower interest rates, longer terms, and, and traditional capital gets introduced into the mix, the underwriting process might change a little bit and it might become a little bit longer. But the idea at the start is to have this be almost as frictionless as a Bitcoin backlog for you to be in and out as simple as yeah. hopefully a day or a couple hours. Like for today, for a B2X loan, which is a loan to buy more Bitcoin on Lenin's platform, you can KYC in two minutes, you can send your Bitcoin on the next block in 10 minutes. So you can literally have a B2X done in 12 minutes. With us, the only really uh, time frame is the appraisal. That's a piece too where we'd love to innovate in the future. Like appraisals are, you know, okay, but they're a little bit, you know, there's definitely room for technology innovation there to make that process faster. And the big thing that takes a lot of time at the banks to go through a traditional mortgage is all the income verification, W two records, all of your tax, and putting point together that package. That doesn't exist with our Bitcoin mortgage. It's strictly what's the home value and how much Bitcoin do you have, and making sure that you're KYC properly. So we're following regulatory requirements. And so after that's done, I could see us shortening up the, the time frame significantly and literally making it, you know, 24 to 48 hours if everything was all together. What concerns you guys the most? I guess one thing that that I think is is maybe the elephant in the room, but not perhaps not necessarily like depends on who you ask. But I think that Bitcoin's weaving its way into politics, whether it's El Salvador, whether it's the US, whether it's you know, you name it, politicians are talking about Bitcoin. My concern is that if we get Bitcoin pinned to one particular party and not the other, so Bitcoin becomes X party supports Bitcoin, but Y party doesn't support Bitcoin. And we go into this, if, for example, in a sort of a, in a two pole system, you would potentially have this situation where you have four years pro Bitcoin, four years anti Bitcoin, four years pro Bitcoin, four years anti Bitcoin, and you can get into like one hand building, the other one breaking down. And, and so I think that I, I see that as a potential risk, as as in some countries, like hopefully politicians can be bigger than this and, and see the light above it, kind of work for the best interests of the constituents. But I think that politics is one of those things that it's going great or it's going absolutely terrible. And I've seen it go from great to terrible like that. And so that's one thing that, I, that is at the top of my mind. I'm very jaded by politics. So I'll caveat <laughs> with that. I think most are getting there with you. <laughs> I noticed that it's just Bitcoin. There's all these altcoins out there. 
how are you guys thinking about that as you guys structure your platform and what you're accepting as collateral for very substantial sums of money? Yeah, I think um, you know we have a philosophy at Ledin that the best restaurants have the smallest menu. Uh, so we're trying to make sure that uh, we, we we limit choice, not to limit uh, client choice, but just to make sure that we don't clutter things up for no reason without a lot of thought. I think we saw some of the other lending platforms add you know different tokens like you know XRP, and then ran into not only regulatory issues but client issues when they couldn't you know liquidate collateral and such. So we definitely have no plans uh, to support you know a whole bunch of different altcoins. Uh, we have considered uh, adding, uh, you know, Ethereum and such to the platform, but we haven't uh, formally announced uh, anything yet, and we're actually still working through that on our roadmap. Our next piece that we're working through is adding feed on ramps uh, to the platform, so adding the ability to more easily send and receive dollars to make sure that, you know, obviously it's still a fairly simple thing to do in the U.S., but it's a lot harder to do in other markets. Uh, so we want to make sure we support that first, and then we'll see how things grow from there. But the first part is making sure the products we have are robust. Uh, we have some a lot of innovation that we want to do on the loans first, and then you know we'll see how next year goes and and how you know different popularity of, of different assets shakes out. When I'm looking at the type of person that would just be taking out a, a standard loan against their Bitcoin and paying a higher rate than what they would going through traditional finance, the only thing that really kind of just makes a lot of sense to me is they just don't want to deal with the admin bureaucracy and they just want access to working capital to make a quick payment, pay it back a month later or two months later. And the hassle that was saved like far outweighed what they would have had to have gone through and prove, hey, I have this much free cash flows for my business this past, you know, the past three years and go through that whole process, right? Like like you said, they can literally take out a three hundred thousand dollar loan in twelve minutes or whatever it is, and then pay it back a month later. And this just it's too easy, right? Is that your typical person that's using those types of services? Or what would you say is the the typical person that's using the service? Because the interest rate we're talking about is what, six, seven percent for the scenario that is just described to go borrow three hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. So the interest rate on our, our Bitcoin backed loan without uh, real estate is nine and a half percent today. Okay. So uh, that's you know ebbing and flowing depending on where it is. So I think a couple of things on that. So for the person that owns really only liquid Bitcoin assets today and doesn't own really any other substantial asset and wants to buy a home, our recommendation for that is if you if you're strictly focused on rate. We will not compete on the Bitcoin back mortgage today on a, on a blended rate basis with a traditional mortgage, especially where rates are immediately. We hope to be able to, and let's say, you know, six to 12 months from now, but the product that we have immediately is not a 2% product. So our recommendation is still, still use Ledin, take a Bitcoin back loan for the down payment on the home only, and then source a traditional lender. If you want the convenience that some of our clients have done, Source the whole thing through Ledin, tie up a bit more Bitcoin that you'd like, and then as, as you just illustrated, repay the portion of the loan, refinance it with, there's no repayment fees with Ledin, so you could refinance it and, and pay it down without any issue to do that. So that's probably for the person that's rate sensitive and you know, is planning to the exact you know, penny, that's, that's the recommendation we would give. But and keep in mind, you know, what we were talking about earlier, is you have to have income to qualify for that. You're still going to have to show your W-2 is substantial enough to support that traditional uh, loan. A lot of clients are coming to us that are Bitcoin entrepreneurs or traders, have done other things. They may be worth millions, but they don't have that cash flow uh, that the bank mortgage can support. In that scenario, the Bitcoin mortgage makes sense for you. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. 
Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com WSB. That's fundrise.com WSB. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Ally, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. So how much are you guys paying for a person making a deposit? What's the interest rate there? Uh, it's a six and a quarter on the first uh, half of Bitcoin and two and a quarter on balances above that. And then for the USDC savings account, it's nine and a half percent APY. So when I'm thinking of those interest rates and I'm looking at what traditional 
finance interest rates are, let's say it's let's just say it's 3%, right? Let's just say a person wanted to deposit a million dollars with you guys. The interest that's being received off of that deposit, assuming it can hold its million dollar valuation, is covering the loan interest payments, right? If the person would go out and borrow a million dollars in traditional markets at 3% to buy a house, or they could deposit I guess what I'm saying is they're doing both, right? They're getting the traditional loan for 3%. They're making a deposit with you, which is going to pay them higher than that payment that they have to make to the bank. Is there something in the future where you guys are going to try to smoosh these two things together to allow the person to basically deposit their um, Bitcoin and you guys basically make the, the payment to the traditional lenders? I think it's where the, the structure of the market is. So right now, uh, the yields that are available on Bitcoin, so when we lend Bitcoin, the market for institutional lending is around three to four percent today. Uh, so that that level is what you can pay on Bitcoin. There's there's a tier system that we do. So we pay six and a quarter on the first Bitcoin, and we pay two and a quarter on the amount above that. Uh, so that blended rate allows us to to keep those rates sustainable. I think that the comparison is really on on the dollar side. So on the on the stablecoin side. We pay 9%. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, our Bitcoin back rate is 9.5%, plus we have an Aminti on there. So that makes the spreads of the dollar side uh, comparable. But um, you know, I think really what we'll see in the future is, hey, you know, maybe one day the rate on Bitcoin yields will be higher uh, than the rate on dollars, uh, just given the dynamics of it, right? But right, in the current market, there's more people. That I w- the way I always think about it is the reason dollars are higher in the space is I think if you said to someone who's familiar in the space, do you want to lend dollars? What's my risk? Bitcoin? Well, why wouldn't I just own Bitcoin? Bitcoin went up you know, X percent this year. So I think the supply-demand curve is really tweaked on dollars in the space compared to Bitcoin because a lot of people just want to hold Bitcoin. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. It is getting exciting. And I mean, uh, just just listening to you guys describe the different rates, and then you're looking at the traditional system, you can see how as this matures in the coming five years, I just can't imagine the growth rate and how this is going to just... This is turn, It's already turning into a monster. Like the, the stable coin growth rate is just... I think it's blowing the hair back on traditional finance, the, the amount of coins that are being minted and being put into circulation because of the demand for immediate clearance. 24 7. It's just wild. Not to mention, it is banking. It is actually banking a lot of a bank. X recent gas fees issues that we've been having, because transparently, right now, you can't really use stable coins on Ethereum. Like a normal human cannot, like, cannot afford to use them for their everyday life. But six months ago, a little bit, and right now, they Mind you, I have heard from people in places like Venezuela that are using stablecoins on things like Solana. So people find their way through innovation to solve their own needs. And it's remarkable. It's, it's not fancy you know, software developer engineers. I'm talking like real people are actually going out and, and reaching and finding a, a different option because they just don't want to pay 100 bucks in fees. Barring that aside, what I think is fascinating about you know, stablecoins and, and hyper-dollarization uh, in some ways is that it is actually... So if you look at some of our clients, we have clients that live in sort of remote parts of Mexico. And for them to go open a dollar bank account somewhere is a day's trip, or sometimes they don't even have a way to get there. And many times these people you know, found their way through Bitcoin, they bought it in our local P2P market, and they want to access some of our services. And 
Our experience, I think, speaks a lot to what stablecoins is doing for people because it came from clients asking us to fund our loans in stablecoins. And these were clients largely in Latin. So over 40% of our loan clients are, are all in Latin America. And so it is truly giving people in, in very uh, far-reaching parts of the world access to a stable savings account or a stable savings instrument, which I know might seem trivial for anyone that grew up in Europe or Canada or the US, but a dollar is the almighty dollar anywhere outside of those three countries. Mm -hmm. And people will you know, go to great lengths to, to not hold their local currency and hold dollars instead. Gentlemen, this was a blast. I learned a ton. Give people a handoff where if they want to learn more about your company, they want to learn more about you, where they can find it. You can follow us at HODL with Ledin. That's our Twitter handle. And um, for myself, you can find me at Cryptonomista. And you can also check out the Bitcoin Economic Calendar, which is a, a newsletter that we, uh, we write. And it's actually free for clients and non-clients as well. But yeah, that's where uh, you can find us or myself. Adam, you can give yours. Yeah, sure. Mine's uh, pretty easy. It's just my full name, Adam Reeds on Twitter. And our website is ledn.io. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Gentlemen, thank you so much for making time and coming on the show. Thanks so much, Preston. Appreciate it. Thanks. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin-specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.